On my day off recently, I sorted through boxes of old papers and mementos. That tells you just how deep into quarantine we've gotten. I think Sarah's been wanting me to do that for about four and a half years. I found all kinds of odds and ends. Fifth grade, writing assignments, memorabilia from a symphony tour of Japan, a priority mail envelope filled with slips of paper, of phone numbers and addresses. That was my address book. Many of the names I recognized, some I didn't. And as I was doing this, I came to this realization. Part of who I am, whether I remember it or not, is found in these boxes. It was a strange but also comforting feeling. Connecting with these different parts of my past. I was glad to let go of some. But with a... Um, With an unexpected tenderness, I held on to others. As I sorted through postcards and pictures, I remembered who I've been to more fully understand who I've become. And then I went walking around our neighborhood. And as I walked, I began to wonder What if an accounting of who you are isn't just the sum of the experiences you've had? My experience with those boxes is pretty typical. Often we approach our lives and ourselves as much as we can understand of ourselves as if it were simply about who we've been, what we've done, And what we've left undone. What we've loved. What we've lost. What we've endured. But what if an accounting of who you are is also about who you are yet to be? What if your hope for what is to be, the hope for how you will live in this world what you will be in this world, what this world will be because of you, what if that hope for what might be was as important for who you are today as what has been? Within our epistle this morning lies one of my personal touchstone scriptural text. It's kind of odd because I have lots of challenges with this book of 1 Peter. But um, there is this verse that I have never been able to shake. It was written at a time when Christians were suffering from persecution and it offered the early followers of Christ a path forward as they faced skeptical audiences and even hostile accusers. 
and it's been passed to us today, so that when we come to these situations, be it with friend or stranger, as Christians, what is to be our defense? Is our defense certainty? No. Is our defense reason? Not even. Is our defense power? No. The defense that we are to offer to others is our hope. What is not yet, but what we trust will be. And specifically, our defense is the hope in God that resides in us. Now, um, to create a defense like this can be demanding even in the best of times. And these are not the best of times. So what would you do? What would you do if someone wanted to know your hope? How would you give an accounting for the hope that lays within you? For me, uh, recently, this was not a rhetorical question. You may remember a, a couple of weeks ago, I preached about an Easter message that the Open Door Dinner Captains asked that I write for all the meals that we offered to people in the East Bay. What I didn't mention was how much I struggled to write it. As I sat down to write it several times, it seemed like there were so many things that I didn't want to say. Trite phrases, worn out words. Frankly, it was one of the more daunting pieces of writing that I have written in quite a while. So wouldn't you know that um, that same Sunday I preached that sermon about how the message was received. Also happened to be a second Sunday of the month. <laughs> and so after our service, I went to go check in in the uh, parish hall uh, to see how the cooking of the now world famous jambalaya was going. And the uh, open door dinner captain uh, asked if I had a message for this Sunday's meals. Right, practice what you preach, Pastor. So I started writing. And again, I found it really, really challenging to give an accounting of the hope that lays within. You see, the last thing I want to do to anyone, but especially to people who are surviving on the streets, is to give a sense of false hope. In the course of my life, I've learned that while giving false hope may feel better at first when you say it, that feeling quickly fades when faced with the realities of life. Because hope is not optimism. Just like joy is not happiness. Hope draws from the deepest of wells where optimism dries up in the midday sun. Hope is being willing to look beyond the horizon to believe in another way, another possibility. 
even while you know difficulty and pain. Especially when you know difficulty and pain. I wonder then, in these times of trial, if hope is a discipline. A discipline that can make room for sorrow, but not be overwhelmed by it. Because contrary to a particularly American uh, kind of superficial cheeriness, having hope does not mean that you're not sad or upset or grieving. When we hope, we can, we can hold on to these feelings. We can surround them, knowing them to be real and that there is truth that is even deeper and fuller and waiting to be found. Waiting to be found. I think it's that sense of waiting to be found that the Apostle Paul was working with that day on the Areopagus. He was with the Athenians, and um, during his travels through what is what was known in the ancient world as a highly religious city, amongst the dozens of altars that Paul comes across, he finds one altar that is set aside to an unknown God. Was it that somebody had an experience that they couldn't attribute to one of the gods and therefore they had to name in this way? Or was it that of all the pantheon of gods, none of them spoke to where they were? But what Paul does in what is an incredibly contextual sermon is that he then picks up on this theme of unknowing, of yearning for, of groping for the Almighty, but not being able to find the Holy One. And it's uh, a theme which feels right for this Sunday at a time when it feels like we are fumbling around in the dark, searching for God. And why I believe the Acts of the Apostles are so important for this moment is that Paul assures us that in the body of and through the presence of the Christ, the Good Shepherd seeks to be found. That the source of all things is findable and is not far from each of us. Perhaps hope is continuing to trust that God can be and wants to be found. I'd like to close with an image from a stunning and provocative article in The Guardian by the journalist Rebecca Solnit. In it, she reflects on the disaster we are living through and um, she shares this potent image 
that comes in the form of a chrysalis. She reminds us that in the cocoon, uh, a caterpillar doesn't molt. (laughs) No, the, the caterpillar creates the chrysalis and then dissolves into liquid. And from this um, soup of imaginal cells emerges something completely different from what went in. A butterfly. This in-between state is where we find ourselves in this moment. Where normal is a state of the past and where confusion uncertainty and fear are a state of the present. For now we are together in this state of chrysalis. And so this is a time for us as Christians to do what we were made to do. To live with hope. To trust that in this liminal space, in a time of chaos and catastrophe, that God surrounds us, embraces us, prepares us for the change to come. So get ready, friends. Get ready to arm yourself with hope. For at this time of all times, we must be prepared to share it.